Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to the Bradley Wynn Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. I'm Graham Wilgos. Brad, we're back into it. We are. Stage two Stage of the Giro two today. Of the Giro. And we've got um, the King Kelly with us, Sean Kelly. Good to have you on, Sean. Thank you. How many Giros did you ride? Started one, did a week of uh, the race, and then packed my bag. You ever won a stage, did you, a Giro? No, never won no. a stage. No, it's a race I would have uh, loved to have done when I was in my good years, but of course, with uh, commitments to the Spanish team and Spanish sponsors, they always had to do uh, Vuelta, so... Unfortunately, never got the opportunity when I felt that I could do something in Giro to ride. Important one, actually, Sean, because Brian mentioned this on commentary earlier and he, he didn't get it quite right. So you rode the Giro when, as you say, at the time, the Vuelta would have been uh, the, the significant one for you because you were with the Spanish team. And so that was the race that they were interested in you taking part in. Brian said that something along the lines of, on commentary of you offered a, a, a particular contract if you went to the Giro. But what was actually the case was the team were given a wild card on the condition that you turned up as one of their, well, as their star man. Yes, well, you know, back in the day, the organisers had a lot of um, control over the teams they invited and if they weren't sending a good team, well, then they might not accept the team. And that was the case with um, the Giro. Uh, if I wasn't in the Festina team, they wouldn't uh, be prepared to take the team on the start. So... I had an agreement with the Festina bosses that I would go for a, you know, a week of racing and then leave the rest. But there was no question of uh, getting a, a contract or an appearance fee. It was just uh, that they wanted the team there. Festina wanted a team in the Giro on that year. 1992 it was. Yes. Do you know what the team was, Graham? What, Festina? No, it was Lotus. Was it? Well, it was Lotus in Spain. Outside of Spain, it was Festina. Yeah. Yep. I see. Very good, Brad. Yeah. And it was... Um, it was when the, the Vuelta was in April then, wasn't it, as yeah. well? Yes. So well, you had April, Vuelta, May, the, well, May June, the, 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 the Giro, and then the Tour. So guys that did the three tours then, like Lacheretta and all those, they, was, they were hard men then to do all three grand tours. There was, I think back then it was about a week or two between the Vuelta and the Giro, was there? Something like that? Yeah, I think about uh, two weeks between yeah. uh, Vuelta and Giro. So it was just, uh, it was a very little time, but there was very few riders, of course. Lacheretta was one of the ones who did it a number of times. And you just won San Remo. And pro cycling stats as well, this might not be correct, pro cycling stats ha- says that you got as far as stage 16. I mean, you were, you were almost there. Was that not the case? It's just the week. No, I did, I did go on further. The, the plan was with the team to go for a week racing, but then when they had me there, they said, oh, yeah, continue on a bit more. And the, uh, the sponsor, the Festina uh, uh, boss in Italy, he was you know, pushing to continue on. And uh, eventually, yes, I ended up doing uh, a lot more than I had uh, bargained for. And in all your time racing, having spoken to you briefly about this earlier, I don't think you've ever had a worse injury than, than what you're currently recovering from. Yes, well, it was back in December, mid-December, I was out mountain bike with uh, eight of my friends who I you know, bike with quite a lot. And uh, yeah, we were in the, in the woods on quite a good uh, road. Um, 
we just got uh, tangled together and I went over the bars and broke my left collarbone for the second time, uh, seven ribs and a punctured lung. Uh, so it was one of the um, one of the worst, yeah, the worst crash that I had. I did break the collarbone and ribs before when I was racing, but of course now I'm much older, so uh, it's more painful and it takes longer to recover from. Excruciating, and apparently you needed a, uh, a step ladder to get back on the turbo trainer. You, you you wouldn't be stopped from getting back on the turbo. Well, that'd be nothing new to the um, to the to the pro bike riders because you know when you break a collarbone, you want to get back maybe four or five weeks. But just to get uh, up on the bike, get the leg over, especially if you've broken ribs, it can be very painful. But when you're up on the bike, you know, you can just sit there and pedal away for, you know, 45 minutes an hour. And uh, it's important that you get back as quickly as possible. But um, I was back, I think, about five or six weeks uh, after the accident. But, you know, nowadays we can, you know, we see the guys two, three weeks after breaking a collarbone, they're back on the on the turbo trainers in their garage. I love how when you were texting back and forth with, with podcast Pete, our producer, you only dropped it in at the end, having gone through all the, yeah, looking forward to getting back into it. How are you? I'm well. How's your off-season, etc. You know, Sean Kelly is is a, a legendarily hard man, but this is this is above and beyond. Oh, yeah, by the way, I've punctured a lung, broken seven ribs. Well, yeah, so something where, yeah, when you talk to people, you don't say, well, I'm after having a bad accent. It's not something that I, <laughs> I like to talk about or advertise or whatever you like to whatever you like to word it. But, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, there was there was events coming up and uh, there was talk about, you know, doing the events. And I, I just said, well, I don't think I'll be doing those events because I've, you know, had a fall from my bike and I'll be out for a number of weeks. And, yeah, end of story. Well, it's good to have you back. Good to see you well. Brad, we're keen particularly to have Sean on today yeah. after um, the news about Ireland's new favourite cycling son, Sam yeah. Bennett. Yeah. Um, so Patrick Lefevre, uh, to quick step boss, has said, He's, well, he's kicked off transfer season early, not, not supposed to until sort of August, August yeah. 1st, um, revealing that Bennett will leave to Koenig Quickstep at the end of this season. Uh, his team once again changing their lead sprinter, um, seemingly opting not to match the significant offers from, from rival teams. So we mm. think he's off to Bora again, God, yeah. which again... He wasn't, um, I don't know whether it didn't seem that that ended on a, on a very good note, did it, when he left Bora the last time, but... Patrick, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't really know the ins and outs of it, but I mean, he's saying Remco and Julian Alaphilippe are his highest priorities, you know, in terms of finance. And you can imagine that with Julian Alaphilippe. Yes, Remco is a, a young super talent and, a, and a one for the future, but Sam is the fastest man in the world at the moment. He's a green jersey winning the Tour, Tour de France stage winner. He's won stages this year in races. He's, um, it's, it just seems strange to not cover all your bases, really. I mean, Sam is a superstar of the sport and to come out now at the second stage of the Giro and already, you know, say that um, he's going to be leaving at the end of the season and whether it must be a finance thing, but, you know, it looked like he'd found his home for the first time in a while, Sam, and, and was happy and particularly with Cav there this year and, you know, Cav and him, we were talking about it only yesterday, weren't we, at the Tour and you can only imagine that the role Cav could play for Sam at the Tour, but what do you make of it all, Sean? Well, it's something, uh, you know, that we know Patrick Lefebvre, he doesn't, you know, pay these uh, big salaries, he talk a lot about yet yeah, the budget. He doesn't have got the money. Um, of recent, he's been talking that he has a new sponsor coming on board. But Philippe and uh, Evan Poole, of course, uh, you know he's re-signed them. Don't know exactly you know what their contracts are. So I think the Belgians and Patrick Lefebvre more so are known. You know the he's never he's never paid big money. If you look back with the sprinters he've had, you know he take them on. They're very successful, and then they move on because they get much bigger offers. So, reading between the lines, I think, you know, Sam, uh, he has much better offers elsewhere, and uh, Patrick Lefebvre doesn't seem to be able 
to uh, match it yeah. or prepared, you know, to pay that amount. But it's yeah, it's amazing that we're talking so early about it already. But yeah, I think it's something. It's always been going on in the background. We know the regulations is not until I think the first of August where they can announce. But you know, the negotiations are going on well before the Tour de France, and we just don't hear about it. But this is certainly you know big news with Sam Bennett because the way he's riding this year and last year his performances, uh, it's. Uh, it's a major one, and it will be interesting to see if he goes back to Bora. If that is the case, um, I'm not sure where he's going to go, but I'm sure there's a you know there's a number of teams that are very interested in Sam's uh, services because you know he's proven that now again this year he's the fastest in the world and he's become consistent. Are we looking at the Tour de France not necessarily this summer, but but next year as all in for Julian Alaphilippe? Then is is that the plan that with that? De Kerning are looking ahead for they're they're focusing on the classics and then they're looking at the tour all in for Alaphilippe as opposed to a few eggs in Sam Bennett's basket or a few eggs in their sprinters basket and a few eggs in Alaphilippe's yeah, basket yeah I mean it seems that way doesn't it um, yeah I don't know whether Julian will ever win the tour you know and it's sort of you have to play those two cards when they get to the tour because he's French and you know Sam should get the backing this year really for the for the green for the green jersey again you know he won he proved himself outright last year won Champs Elysees and of course another stage and Julian's always going to win stages and, and light the race up and be, you know, kind of bring that publicity to the team because of his personality. But um, it's a tough one, isn't it? It really is. And, um, you know, Julian's the world champion as well. He's going to be riding the Tour de France as world champion. And Brian said on comms, Lefebvre would be an idiot not to take Bennett to the Tour this year. Yeah. Yeah. Can well, you I think? I agree. I yeah, agree. I, yeah, we all agree. I yeah. think there. And I'd and take that, Cav as well. I'd, yes. Know, yeah. I don't think there's... Uh, I cannot see that happening. That he's not going to take Sam Bennett to the tour this year, if he's leaving the team as we are, you know, believed, uh, led to believe at this moment. I think you know he's definitely going to take Sam and uh, you know get the value out of him. It's going to be an interesting one with Alaphilippe, of course. Yeah, will he be able to win the tour? I don't think uh, it's going to be for this year, but uh, you know, looking further, I suppose with. Evenpool, I think it's going to be an interesting one. How we fare out in this Giro, uh, and of course the Tour of France next year is going to be something that you know maybe he can target with uh, Remco Evenpool. Bennett to Bora, can we see Sagan going the other way? Sagan to De Kerning well, quick step. It was mentioned earlier in the season. Was it? Yeah, mm. but financially as well. If we look at can he afford him? Talking about whether he can. I mean, they're talking about that he's on nearly seven million euro, isn't he? At, um, at Bora, I don't think Patrick can afford that. <laughs> well, I think with Sagan, there's a relationship between specialised yeah, and Sagan. There I is think, definitely, yeah. yeah I think they, you know, they, they may could, pay his wages, eh? Yeah, I think there maybe there's an ongoing uh, personal contract there, so that would uh, it would it would suit, and uh, yeah, you could see why he might go to. Uh, yeah, I think he'd do well there. I think that'd be a good team for him yeah. under Patrick. I can see him coming back to the four in the classics and being the you know being the Sagan he was a few years ago. Interesting quote from Lefebvre as well, just to add a. a a final point on this. He says, at a certain point, I can no longer be convinced I have to flip the switch. These types of riders leaving is a fact of life. As pros, they have to earn as much money as possible. Yeah. But look at the sprinters who left us. Some riders came walking back. Yeah. So he doesn't see it as final, never sees it as final, but then he says you can never go back. And he means, he? That, so he, means that as captain for Mark, does he? He's, yeah. he's, he's insinuating Mark there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, look, I mean, it's... He's right in a way, you know, riders, you know, have to look after themselves, don't they? they earn as much money as they can. But um he's having a dig there at the same time. Yeah. 
I mean, well, it always feels like he is. Yes, well, it's going to be a concerning one for Sam Bennett because he's good, he's definitely going to be looking, you know, in the past. And when you look at Viviani, you look at Gaviria, the way those guys were performing. And when they moved on, you know, they didn't produce the performances that they were able to uh, do with uh, Tacconi Quickstep. So I presume Sam is, you know, looking at that also. You know, I think Sam would definitely, you know, loves to stay with Tacconi Quickstep because, you know, he's really fitted in there well and uh, he's happy there. But, yeah, it's the, it's the financial uh, situation and uh, if the difference is, you know, major between what he's been offered and what he can get with Tacconi Quickstep, then you can understand why that uh, there is uh, the reason that he can be moving, that he will be moving on. João Almeida, um, Lefebvre has said, also off at the end of this season, which seems like strange timing given that stage two of the Giro today... Almeida joint leader with Romko Evenepoel for De Koenig. Evenepoel took bonus seconds to go level with Almeida today, the only significant change on GC. Mm. Where does that fit in? Why why announce it today? I don't know. I mean, that's, uh, you know, as Sean said, negotiations start tend to start around this time. And he's got an agent, he's got a football agent, isn't he? Same agent as Ronaldo. George Mendes. Yeah. Same same agent uh, for Ronaldo and Mourinho. Yeah. Um, and, and renowned for being absolutely but, ruthless. And, and he's come waded in and obviously wants money now, wants some sign, you know, if, with all these talks of Sagan maybe coming to the team and this, that and the other, they, he probably has to get in early now and say, well, what about my guy next year? It starts earlier and earlier and, you know, off the back of that with the, you know, the, the discussions about Bennett and potentially Sagan coming to that team, you know, the, the agents step straight in for other riders that are up at contract and say, well, if this is going on, what about our guy? You know, and they will start looking elsewhere because the later you leave it in the year as well, less people have money. So as Sean said, the, the negotiations start earlier and earlier. When you both knew that you were hot property, so to speak, and, and you thought, okay, I, I can make the most of this here. Brad, for example, going from Jonathan Vorter's team mm. to... Yeah. Uh, to Team Sky well, that 2009 was, yeah, that, I mean, that started at the Tour de France I mean that started early in the year actually before, and it was all under the radar I had to meet Dave Brailsford at a, um, a supermarket on the rest day of the Tour de France and that was all secret you know it was um, but you, unless you get in the door early and start you know things August is late when people start we saw that last year we were sat weren't we, around last year with the Giro and that when it was late in the year and people were scouting around for contracts and it gets um, you want it you for your security and your peace of mind, so you can concentrate on your bike riding. Contract things are the worst things to be going on, aren't they? Yes. Well, I don't think yes. Uh, something you want to uh, have, you know, uh, lingering out there. Of course, with Almeida, if he's made an agreement and uh, it's been announced now, you know, that's not a problem. He knows where he's going. But if if you have to wait until. Uh, August and uh, you know you're still negotiating well then you know the opportunities are are much less and you know the amount of uh, money available is also less but uh, the surprising one is it's it's Patrick Lefebvre who announced it today I think he just wanted to get one up on some of the other uh, maybe the managers that they were not going to be the first ones to announce it because it is very early to be throwing it out there but Patrick Lefebvre did say also I don't care who win the Giro I don't care what uh, flag he is carrying, what nationality. The moment he's carrying the colours of my team, that's all that matters. Interesting quote on Georges Mendes' involvement in cycling from Mark Madio. Um, he says, I do not want to talk about the football system. The system of football agents, it is what? It is to have a wallet of players and to move them as much as possible, to extract cash as often as possible. It is a world of speculation in a financial bubble. And where is football with this financial bubble, with everything that is happening now with COVID? What is going on there? They are on the edge of an abyss. And now we want to let people like Mendes into cycling. 
I don't want Mendes in cycling. He should stay in Portugal with the football people, but he should not come and join us. He is not going to earn in cycling what he earns in football. Yeah, well, that's true to agree. You know, cycling is a small world, you know, and you have to, what goes around comes around in cycling. And look at Mark Cavendish, you know, he's gone back to quick step now. You know, he's kept a good relationship with Patrick Lefebvre and when it was looking like Mark didn't have a team at the end of last year, Patrick stepped in and gave him a spot. You know, it's, you, you, you reap what you, you know, reap what you sow in cycling and um, you've got to keep good relationships because you never know where someone's going to end up. You know, one minute they could be a team manager or a director sportif or a mechanic at a team. The next minute they could be a DS at another team or next day they could be a president at UCI Cycling. You just don't know, do you? No. It's a and small world cycling. Yes, and you can understand where Mac Maddio is coming from because these big agencies involved in football, they're going to be talking big money and of course, you know, Mark Maddow, he's been around a long time. He's also, you know, a very good uh, dealer and negotiator when he comes to, uh, you know, signing riders. So it's understandable why he doesn't want those uh, agencies coming in because they are going to, you know, really push up the prices and they're going to be talking about international telephone numbers when they're, you know, when they're, when they're trying to get a contract for the riders. Italian lira. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the same situation with um, Patrick Lefebvre. You know, he is, uh, you know, not not happy with those agencies coming in and, you know, taking over riders and negotiating for riders. Brad, are we in favour of football agents in cycling? Um, as long as they can recalibrate to what we're, the numbers we're talking about. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, th I think agents, agents weren't so much around when you were racing with a Sean, as much as every rider has an agent now. A lot of riders used to do their contracts themselves. There was many years I did my own contract. Um, it was it was only about 10, 15 years ago where you, you had a, you, every rider now has an agent within the peloton. Um, and those agents, you know, I think there was the Belgium guys, Paul de Gator, I think he was called. He had, um, at one point, this was about 15 years ago, had about 50 riders. I don't know how many he's got now. So you can imagine the contracts scrabbling around. He's trying to service every rider. And as you say, the numbers that they talk about, I think um, there's nothing that really qualifies you to be a cycling agent, though. You see, this is the thing. Nothing really qualifies you to be a football agent. It's just a bit of a Jack the Lad sort of thing, isn't it, really? And I think it's it's a way of the riders not having to think about the money and someone having the cheek to ask for more money than a, than you would if you're not sort of driven by money. Yeah, that's all you need, I think. Cheek. And yes, it, well, I think, uh, you, as Brad says, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, in the earlier days, you know, I was... Uh, I was negotiating my contract myself, but then in the uh, in the last maybe eight or eight, eight or ten years, I had a manager who did that, and it does make it easier for the rider because you know they go and they just talk to the uh, the team owner, the team manager, or whoever they need to negotiate with, and they can talk quite big figures. And for the athlete itself, it's difficult to do that. Yeah. I felt that as well when I was in there; it was always difficult. But you know, these guys, they just throw a sum out there, and you know, they don't have you know any worries and they just don't think about it. No clandestine meetings in supermarket car parks for you, Sean? Just lots of brown paper bags, weren't they, under the table with Spanish well, potatoes in? Well, as, as as you said, Brad, you know, there was a lot of times during the Tour of France when there would be teams, yeah. uh, they would be talking to you and you would try, you know, maybe slip out and go to uh, go to maybe a cafe someplace on the corner and, you know, have a coffee and talk to them. So, yeah, it, it was something that... Um, you know, it went on, but it wasn't good for you during the tour because it does it does take from your you know your focus on the event. Okay, well, we'll watch with interest to see how the Ivanapol and Almeida two card play from De Kernig mm. develops. As I say, Ivanapol moving up on GC is is today's only significant development overall. One hundred and seventy nine kilometers from Stupigny to Novara, ending with a sprint finish that was worth the wait. 
Here's how Rob Hatch called it for us on Eurosport and GCN+. 550 metres to go now, and you've got to be up the front. Here's Simone Consonni giving his all, giving his best for Elia Viviani, who waits. Viviani sat on the wheel, and Viviani is there looking behind Molano now. Molano's going to have a go. Ricciesi is back, and Ricciesi is waiting for Gavidia. Gavidia, who is following Medlir. Here goes Medlir through the centre. Tim Medlir going to the line. Tim Medlir still in front. Medlir, Nizzolo, Grunewig. It's still Medlier though, it's still Medlier, Medlier all the way, oh and he's done it at a canter. Tim Medlier wins on debut and Alpacin Fidix up there with the very best. So Brad, Tim Merlier, uh, not necessarily the favourite today. No. Um, However, he has had a form season so far. The last rider to win in Navarra, Eddie Merckx. Um, no. Tim Merlier, former, yeah. former Belgian champion. Um, I watched the sprint he won, which was the Drie Dijks van de Panne, which is now that classic, the De Panne Coxida classic, whatever it's... Um, and the sprint he did there was sort of kind of like in three parts, led out from the front, and he's super quick, and he's got length in his sprint as he well. He went long, yeah. He's got real length in his sprint. Um, I mean, yeah, Dan Dan Lloyd tipped him today. My tip was Gaviria, actually, and he looked like, if he, you know, because it was on that sweeping bed, he did try and come up the inside... If he'd had a straight run, he would have been top three, Gaviria, which is a good return for him, seeing as the form he's had. But um, Grodewegen as well, wasn't he fourth today? Fourth today, and seemed to be looking around him just before he crossed the line. So yeah, he, you would think he was running out of legs, wasn't he? Yeah. He couldn't and, get and the line it, quick enough, and um, yeah. And then he sort Viviani of went again. He, he went again. Yeah, so Viviani pipped Grunewegen to third, Giacomo Nizzolo second, Peter Sagan fifth, Ewan finished tenth. Favorite for for yeah, today. They for most really people. got it wrong, didn't they, Sean? Yes, I think. Well, I think Ewan was you know way too far off, and uh, he was coming, and then he knocked off his uh, efforts uh, quite a bit from the line because he knew he wasn't going to get uh, on the podium. But yeah, Tim Miller, I think uh, you know he's done it a number of times already this year. Torino or the You know when he takes it up onto the on fr- on the front, he can go there from that two hundred plus meters, and you know he is. Uh, He's a big, powerful sprinter and he can hold it all the way. And again today, he did exactly the same. And, you know, positioning as well, he did it perfectly because he was in the wheel of Viviani and he was being, you know, led out. So, yeah, he is, he has the feel, he has the eye for it and he has the, uh, he has the power. So if you've got all of that ingredient ingredients, well, then you're going to win big sprints. And yeah, today, you know, he was always yeah, one of the top favourites. I'll tell you who else picked him for today. If you remember back to, to the end of yesterday's pod. It was me. You did. You did, yeah. Yeah. Well done, Just, just had to get that in there. Yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's not often I get You've a little success you, like Graham, that, to, to, doing that to celebrate. Um, it was a sketchy finish, though, Sean. You talked about how important the positioning was. Sketchy old finish going into today. A lot of twists. Into, it wasn't a straight sprint in the end. No, it wasn't... Uh it wasn't exactly uh, straight, and when you look at the road book, you know, it looked like it was a bit, a bit more uh, of a straight run in. But uh, you know, there were a number of roundabouts. But again, if you had a team around you there, if you had two riders or three riders around you, then you keep your position, and that's exactly what Miller did. He just, you know, kept a good position at the right time. They were able to, you know, move him up and uh, just uh, set him on a wheel. Uh, in that you know top three four places, and then you know it's just uh, it's down to if, if you've got if you if you've got it in the end, and he had it today, and you know he just again timing to take up his sprint at the perfect time, and he he did it once again and got his you know a fabulous stage victory. Brad, you mentioned Fernando Gaviria, his own UAE teammate put him into the barrier yeah. there. Well, I don't think it was his fault though. I think it was more Gaviria's fault because he was on Melier's wheel, wasn't he? Just as the the jump happened and. 
whether he didn't really have the surge or speed to go with him and then get over the top of Melier, he decided to go on the inside. And, and But then to be fair to Gaviria, you know, it's um, sometimes that risk pays off, you know, mm. and, and that's the shortest line because of the bend it was on. And had, had the gap stayed open for him and he'd gone through there, he was giving himself the best chance with perhaps not the best form. So, um, you know, it's that's the the, the, the the split decisions you have to make as a sprinter at those speeds and the, the instinct you have to have and you can't account for what someone else is going to move for split decision. You've just got to do it. And one day it will pay off and that's how he'd have won the race. He wouldn't have had the, the legs potentially today to go on the wheel of Meliot, then over the top of him with a long way round. And he decided to go for the short line and um, it didn't pay off for him today. And he, he did well to stay upright. Will Dylan Grunewagen be happy with, with he how looked happy finished. afterwards yeah. in, the, in the interview. Yeah, I think so, that's a big monkey off his back that today. All eyes were on him, nine months away from the sport. Uh, he looked relieved. I think he was just pleased to be there. And I think, you know, he didn't obviously didn't have the legs to come over the top of those guys. But that's not bad, is it? And a bunch of kick like that for nine months away. No, I think he had an excellent uh, finish today, you know, to be up there on the uh, in the final run to the line uh, after being out for so long. Also, you know, when you come back after, you know, what he's been through, with that uh, big, big crash in Poland last year, you're always a little bit nervous as well that you have to make a move because somebody in front of you makes a sudden or a brisk movement and you have to do it as well. And that's certainly what you'd be thinking and Grunewagen would be saying, well, I don't want to make a move here. I have to make a sudden move out from left to right because, uh, you know, first time back there was, you know, all eyes were on him. And uh, to finish there today in the you know the top places after being out for that time, I think uh, it's uh, a real good performance. Sagan elbows out as well today. Yeah. Sagan was throwing bombs, wasn't he? Yeah. Came half out. So yeah, he had uh, Marcus Bergart with him. I think Sagan will win tomorrow. He's my tip for tomorrow. Stage really suits do. him, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, we, yeah, and he's um, you know he was up there in San Remo. He's been he's not been the Sagan of we haven't seen the consistent Sagan of um, a couple of years ago for a while. But when he does turn it on. Um, he looked aggressive today and he looked like mm. he wanted it and I think um, when he turns it on like last year that stage he did last year he's still one of the best riders in the world yeah I think tomorrow's stage you've got five climbs that are all bunched together towards the end yeah. and if it was later in the race you might say it was a typical breakaway stage but tomorrow yeah. like you say Bora look hungry it, it, it looks perfectly set up for Sagan but it might it I might think he enjoys the sprint. Tour. I think he enjoys I think it, this will really set him up for the tour as well I think he's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with at the tour Dylan Grunewagen, can he win a stage? Will he win a stage over the next three weeks? He's, yeah, three weeks? he's got to get through the race, isn't he, Sean? It's still, after nine months away, coming back to the Giro and getting through the race, you know, as hard as it is at times, it's going to be tough for him, isn't it? Yes, well, for uh, anybody who's been out for, you know, quite a long time, it always gets more difficult as you go into the race. That is the concern. You know, the first, the first days you can do that because you have a lot of energy, but then fatigue starts start hitting you uh, and then it gets difficult. And, you know, some riders can manage that uh, quite well. And that is a case for, uh, you know, a few of the riders in the race. Evan Poole as well, of course. You know, he's another one who has been out. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be an interesting one. Sagan, you know, he's hungry, I think, we all know, you know, where he's going next year. There's a little bit of doubt over that. So he wants to prove that, you know, he's still capable of winning uh, stages in a big three-week tour. So I think that will give him, you know, that bit more hunger again. And, uh, you know, let's not forget he had a difficult beginning of the season. He was out with COVID. He was off the bike, I think, for two weeks at, you know, a vital time. And he's been coming in the last number of weeks. He's just getting better. So I think, yeah, there's a lot more to come from Sagan in this Giro. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Brad. We'll be back with more from the Bradley Wiggins Show after this. 
Zwift is the world's training playground, Brad, where fun takes you further, recreating the outdoor feel of riding on an indoor trainer. Something you can get on board with, I think. It does, yeah. And Zwift have done it very well. And they're now the leaders, aren't they, in that world? And um, they've got the likes of Geraint Thomas on board. And, you know, you can't get... Your old mate, yeah. Yeah. And it's... um. You know, they, they got, did some involvement with Team Wiggins a few years ago. We joined in one of their shops, Pinarello shop um, races one night, and my son uses it. I watch him during the winter months. Um, it's something I wish I'd had when I was 15, definitely just to, from, a, from a safety point of view when you didn't want to let your kids out on the road in the dark. And, and anyone can use it. So, it, you know, you don't, yeah. have to be, you don't have to be G, you don't have to be a pro. You can train with thousands of, of real train, people. Yeah. Like, you can train with anyone. You can ride with anyone um, from the world of pro cycling or from your workplace or school, whatever age you are. Brad, like you say, most of the pros on the World Tour train on Zwift. Yeah, hop on any time, heart pumping, intense cycling, join group rides, events and worldwide races. Um, Zwift has nine worlds too, including the stunning Paris and France maps. They've recreated Tour de France stages, um, which gives everyone a chance to experience them. You don't have to have been Bradley Wiggins to experience what it's like to ride at the Tour de France. Uh, You can hit your kilometres with virtual dinosaurs, raging waterfalls, you can be inside a volcano, uh, James Bond-esque, a wide open California desert, plus you can tour London landmarks. All you need is a bike, trainer and Zwift app. Uh, you can get a free seven-day trial, Brad, no strings attached, at Zwift.com. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show, brought to you by Zwift, where fun is fast. Sean, Brad... The Volta Algarve, uh, a race that has almost gone under the radar, given the excitement around the, the beginning of the Giro. Ethan Hater, Team Ineos, 22 years old. It came down to the final kilometre of the final stage. We watched it just before we began recording earlier today. Um, he was duking it out on the final climb with João Rodriguez for, for the race win. Uh, Brad, we were on the Ineos hype machine with Tom Pidcock yesterday mm-hmm. and, and what the future might hold for him. They've got another star in the making yeah, here. Surely yeah. with Ethan Hayter, it didn't quite happen for him today. He was pipped at the well, yeah. pipped in the final kilometre. But, but what but, he's done this week already is superb and all season, really. He's um, he's another one, really. You know, and we talk about Tom Pidcock all the time and the, the talent he has, but there's another one straight away behind him. And he's Ethan, you know, and um, good on him. Well done, Ethan. Last year's... Uh, Volta Algarve winner as well, Remco Vanapol. So, cool. even a ball. They're all young guys as well, aren't they? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, he almost did it, and, and were he to do it, he'd be following in some um, already pretty prestigious yeah. footsteps. Um, I know we're, we're waiting a lot on, on what, what might come from Vanapol too. Sean, could he have done any more to in that in that final climb? No, I don't think he could have done any more. Um, you know, he did a great ride in the race overall, and a great ride again today. But, uh, you know, yesterday he's crashed. That was cost him. And uh, we have seen him, you know, already this year. Uh, I think it was in the Ghent, Ghent or uh, Newsblad. Uh, in the final, he did crash uh, a, a number of kilometres on the finish. So, um, you know, that, is, uh, that has cost him in a number of races now. And uh, I did see the crash yesterday. It was, it was a, you know, a, a mistake, really, with the way he you know, came down in the corner. But that's you know part of the learning as well. When you're in a in a race like Algarve, you're race leader. You know you're really up for it. You make those mistakes. So you know it's it's all about learning. You know when to be or to knock it off a bit. Um, uh, he's young. I think he's a good future ahead of him. But uh, yeah, 
Maybe if you do a bit of the cyclocross with uh, Tom Pitcock in the winter, it would, hand, it would help his bike handling. Yeah, help your technical skills slightly. I mean, he finished the stage with, with blood running down his left arm and leg, so it was it was quite a bang he took. So he, he did well to spring back up and, yeah, he did. and give it all he... He took a real heavy one. You yeah. know, he could have done a lot of damage there. And, yeah, I think today as well, you know, the uh, the effects of that crash as well probably, you know, did not help the situation. So, yeah, yeah. You know, chapeau, a great ride, and I think yeah, he's going to be a guy we're going to see a lot of in the future. Not much older than him is Egan Bernal. So I'm just looking towards the the rest of the week, Brad, before we're back next weekend, um, and and where Bernal might feature because we've got a couple of early days for the GC men. Yeah. Um. So stage three, um, like we say, is is made for Peter Sagan uh, tomorrow, Monday, um, possibly one for the sprinters. Then stage four, Piacenza to Sestola. Um, that's when the proper climbing begins. That's when we might start to see a few gaps on GC. Yeah. Um, the final and, and toughest climbing test of the day, uh, the Passerino rising for four kilometres at 10%. Do we expect to see gaps on the GC in stage four? I think, yeah, we'll see some gaps, but I don't, I don't think they're going to be decisive. I think it's... Um the likes of Burnow and that that's this week three, you know, that 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 couple of that third week's gonna be brutal. And you know, as we said with the Giro, the amount of times that riders have come back from deficits like um Nibali came back from three and a half minutes a few years ago. We saw of course Chris Froome. Froome yeah. yeah. I mean he came back from nearly five minutes, didn't he? Who um, might be looking at this week and thinking, Okay, I'm I'm feeling good and, and this is my time well, to I think just Simon make a few Yates, to be honest. I think Simon will, Simon races like that. Simon's an attacking rider and He'll want to see these form early and um, he won't be afraid to, to show himself early on. Um, Sean, stage five is another one for the sprinters through Bologna and finishing in Catolica. Uh, Merlier again? Well, I think uh, yeah, he's going to be uh, up for it because you know, the pressure is off now and uh, you know, he's proved to himself that he can win in, you know, in big company and that's what he's done today. And uh, you know, when you get uh, your first uh, stage win in a big three-week tour, it relaxes everybody, and uh, yeah, he knows that he uh, is uh, in a great uh, position now to win more stages, and he'll be going from. But yeah, there's other guys, you know, who are going to be also really hungry because in this uh, Giro, there's not a lot of opportunities for the sprinters, so they have to, you know, get up there and get their victories in the earlier part because as the race go on, it's going to get more difficult. Stage seven is another one for the sprinters, and then Brad, we're back next weekend for two big mountain stages. Um, yeah. Both kicking up above three thousand meters. Yeah, and sense. I think that's where um, Bernal and those guys are going to come into their four. You know, the high altitude days. Talking of big mountains, what do you know about Charlie Gore? Charlie, well, I got his pink jersey at home. Um, EMI, you know, the favorite rode for a famous EMI. He rode for Faima, um, darling of Luxembourg. Yeah, he was um, Luxembourg climber. Yeah, um, yeah. there's a famous stage. I think it was '54 where he. Um, this amazing sort of win over the I forget which climb it was, but there was some talk about him actually holding onto a car and there's sort of great images at the top of him climbing over the snow drifts at the top. Francesco Moser's older brother rode that really year. Um, and it's uh, Charlie Gore, was it? Do you ever do you ever meet him? Did you ever meet Charlie yes, Gore? Yes, I met he Charlie was, Gore. I met him at, once. Yes, yeah. I met him at uh, receptions uh, a number of times. And did you race with him? <laughs> no, but I I remember I remember reading about him a lot. And you, you must know, have read about him when he was younger, though, didn't you? When he was... Well, it was it wasn't really when I was younger. It was you know when I got into into the into biking really, and when I became a pro. 
Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, I had I had friends there uh, living in Luxembourg, and I did hear stories about him from Acacio da Silva, the Portuguese rider, yeah. who was with me for a number of years in different teams. And he he talked about Charlie Gall, where he went. He became a hermit, and he went away, living in a tent in did the you? wood for a yeah. number of years. And he didn't want to talk. He didn't want to have any communication with anybody. Uh, a lot of the the press tried to you know to talk to him, but he didn't want to do that. And he did that for a number, quite a number of years. Angel of the Mountains, he was known as. Mm. Uh, well, you can hear more about Charlie Gould's story in Recycle Eurosports podcast that retells the stories of the most compelling riders and races in cycling history. Look out for that one coming Thursday. Gould came from almost 17 minutes down going into the final mountain stage of the 1956 edition of the Giro when conditions were so brutal that his rivals either gave up or hitched a lift to the summit. He braised blizzards and icy temperatures on Monte Bondone to take victory on stage 20 for the most unlikely victories and the Maglia Rossa. Brad, that brings us to the end of this episode of your show, The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosports. Yeah, sponsored by Graham Wilgos. <laughs> Uh, Sean, pleased to hear you're back on the turbo. Yeah, thank you, Sean. And, and great to see you back on your feet. Thank you for joining us. Yes, good to be back and thank you. We can follow you, Sean, if we want to, at... Sean, at seankellycycling.cc. Sean Kelly CC on, uh, on the socials. Brad, we can follow you as ever. There we go. So we go. Plus, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. Thanks as ever to Podcast Pete, our producer, Pete Burton. Podcast Pete. Finally, from me, Graham Wilgos, it's goodbye. If you've enjoyed the show, please do subscribe, share your thoughts and rate us. Plenty of action to look forward to coming up this week. Sean, you're back in the commentary booth. Yes, back for the next three weeks. Back for the next three weeks. We'll see you next weekend. Brad, you and me about then. See you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.